time to play ball. Welcome to the podcast with no limits. Whether it be sports, current events, or random thoughts, this is the place to step in and stay a while. Your host is a proud alumnus of Rio Hondo Prep, a former minor league baseball umpire, and a man with strong opinions. Welcome to the Get Home Safe podcast and your host, Matt Persima. Hey guys, and welcome to another episode of Get Home Safe. It is Friday, February 12th, 2021. Thank you so much for joining us whenever you're tuning in to this episode of Get Home Safe. And you know, guys, I got to tell you, one of the reasons I love football is that there are strategies, there are game plans, there are all these different elements of the game itself. It's not just a guy throwing a pass or not just a guy kicking a ball. There's a lot that goes into every single play. Um, the, the game planning and everything. And what's great about football is you can have all the game plans you want, but then the ball is kicked off and things change. You have to adjust. You got to uh, kind of counter some of the things that come at you. And you guys know I re- record most of my episodes the day before, at least my intro and my outro. And <laughs> this is the third time I've recorded this because, uh, well, let's just say I had the lens cap on, if you will, taking a picture. Uh, the first time I recorded, didn't have the uh, any sound come out, and I was like, what is that? I thought I adjusted and, and went in and did the sound check and recorded again. This time there was sound, but it was just through the computer uh, speaker, the computer microphone. So there was an issue with my USB cord. So then I adjusted it and put it on my microphone, this microphone, on the other side of the computer, tried that USB, and it came out from what you're hearing now. So it took some adjustments. What angered me is that I had just recorded a long, long interview with next next week's guest, who I won't tell you about yet. Um, we're working on the audio uh, now. Hopefully it comes out okay. The guest came out great. My microphone was terrible, my sounding. So, you know, you make these plans, you, you, you have a great game plan, what you're going to do. You're going to run the ball. You're going to control the clock. And then you don't see the ball and you, you get behind 14 points and it's like, what do you do? So a little frustrated right now, but um, I think all's well that ends well. And I, I'm hoping that uh, moving forward, we don't have the technical difficulties that you guys were well aware, well, well aware of when I first started this podcast. It was just one thing after another, some terrible sounds and audio. Uh, anyway, now it, it sounds much better. I hope. Uh, in moving forward. So anyway, speaking of football, speaking of game plans and adjustments and, and all those great things, our guest today is Mike Murphy. Mike Murphy has coached in Care Youth League for around 40 years, been a school teacher in elementary school level for about 30 years. He's retired now. He coached me when I was in sixth grade. Uh, some great memories there. Uh, we'll talk about that a little bit. But the main thing we're going to talk to Mr. Murphy about is football, and specifically uh, his championship game back in 1977. He was a member of the first eight-man championship in Real Hondo Prep history. They upset Montclair Prep in triple overtime at Carefield, one of the most legendary games ever played. And uh, we're going to talk about the similarities, really, between his game in 1977 and my game in 2001, the final eight-man championship in Real Hondo Prep history. Another upset, another overtime thriller, although theirs was triple overtime. Uh, Mine was just single overtime. 
but we upset Joshua Springs that night in a game we were not supposed to win. Let's let's all be honest. We were not supposed to win, but the beauty of football again is game plans, adjustments, and and who wants it more. All those great lessons. Uh, it's why Mr. Murphy loves football, and he will talk about that today. Uh, just the many lessons it teaches you and why it is uh, the best sport. And, and it's fun talking to Mr. Murphy about football because this is the first weekend without football. No Super Bowl, no nothing, no playoffs, no NFL, no college. And uh, it's unfortunate. So I thought, well, let's let's have a conversation about football, especially high school football, because in California it's still outlawed, although they're making some progress. I don't know if there's going to be any games played or not here in the upcoming uh, springtime. But uh, a little frustrated that high school football wasn't played this year in California, even though it was played in uh, plenty of other places. So anyway, uh, hopefully things get turned around here. And, and I got to speak for, well, I'll speak for me. And I don't know about, I don't know about other people, but high school football was such a big part of my life. And I'm sure everyone that played it, uh, it, it was such an experience. It's the last time most of us played, wore a helmet, wore shoulder pads, and the lessons you learn in, in football, specifically high school football, it's just truly remarkable. I don't know how some people got through high school without it. The guys that don't play, even if you don't play it, going to those games on Friday nights and just you feel the energy, right? And so Mr. Murphy and I talk a lot about real Hondo prep football, what makes it special today. I'll be honest, it's kind of like an infomercial really for real Hondo prep football. Here we are in uh, February chatting about uh, – you know, high school sports and everything, but I, I think it's relevant. And, and I hope you guys enjoy the discussion today uh, that I had with Mr. Mike Murphy uh, recently and just a tremendous man, a great leader, someone that uh, really has shaped a lot of young men's lives. He's coached a long time at that sixth grade level where he was very successful as a, a championship winning coach, but it's really the lessons he taught his players and uh, kind of building character right at a very unique age as we went from kids into young men into our adolescent years and just some great memories I have that uh, you guys will hear in our conversations, conversation with Mike Murphy today. Uh, additionally, so there's no football this weekend, this Sunday, but it's like a, a punch to the gut. Not only is there no football, but there is uh, there's this holiday, Valentine's Day, <laughs> February 14th. And I know not many men, if we're honest, you know, really like this hall. It's more of a, a female holiday. They love it. Love and plant flowers and all these things, right? But I'll say this. You shouldn't have to have a day on the calendar that tells you when you're supposed to express, you know, your love for your uh, your loved one, your spouse, your wife, significant other. Um, but it's just a day that I don't know. It's, it's on there. And, and let's be honest, fellas, the ladies, they like getting something. They like experiencing something with you, you know, so do something nice for, uh, for them on, uh, I almost said the 4th of July that day too. That's fine. But, uh, February 14th, <laughs> Valentine's day. Uh, I'm not going to wish everyone out there a happy Valentine's day, because as I mentioned on Monday and Wednesday, we're, we're kind of throwing out some man card violations. I think that would be a big one. Uh, but I don't think there's any shame in telling your significant other happy Valentine's Day. I'll, I'll gladly tell that to uh, my wonderful girlfriend, Valerie. Uh, we'll try to do something on Sunday. Uh, so there's no football on. So uh, I don't know. We'll go get a smoothie or I don't know. Find There's no restaurants open in California, uh, unfortunately, although they are starting to open up a little bit more. So we'll find something. And, and quite honestly, 
with her and I, we haven't spent as much time together because our work schedules are very different. She works early mornings into the evenings. I work afternoon until the late night hours and it's just, it's tough. So we try to en- enjoy our off days, uh, which for me are Thursday and Sunday. And uh, usually Thursdays, I do a lot of stuff with the podcast. I did a long interview, as I mentioned on Thursday and and have recorded this segment that I'm talking to you guys about like three times already. So um, we'll, we'll, it'll be nice seeing her and spending some time with her. And you know what, fellas, if I got to, I am no expert in what women want. I don't, I think that question has been asked for centuries, right? What do women want? You know what? I I don't know at all. None of us do, fellas. But I'll say this, that one thing that comes to mind that I think maybe it's not the only thing women want, but I think they really appreciate is effort. Much like a football player, right? If if, if someone's given effort, can you really say they don't care? They're not, you know, not trying. So I think I think about that with like Valentine's Day. She's great. She doesn't expect or want anything on Valentine's Day. Uh, but you know, we've all heard that before, right, fellas? Yeah, hey, what do you want to do for Valentine's? Oh, nothing. And then we ask a few days later, hey, what's wrong? Oh, nothing. You know, <laughs> same answer to very two different questions that are related or unrelated, whatever. Uh, so uh yeah, do something nice for your significant other guys. It's uh, you know, what is it? There's there's birthdays, there's anniversaries, Valentine's Day. I I, I guess you gotta do something. I don't know. And, and maybe some couples don't do anything. Um I, we usually do something. I don't know what we'll do, but, uh, yeah, it's, you shouldn't be forced to love someone on that day. You should be a 365 thing, right? Not just, just cause some, uh, the company home hallmark or whatever the candy companies and yeah, hey, Valentine's day. Look at now you shouldn't do it just for that. So anyway, I'm rambling away. You know how I operate guys. I just, I jump in a subject and start going, going at it. And, and, uh, you know, having done this three times now, it, they all three episodes, all three uh, segments have been similar, but uh, yeah, each one I think has improved a little bit. Uh, no football this weekend, but there is a great fight Saturday night. Kamara Usman, a welterweight champion, going up against Gilbert Burns. Uh, two really good fighters. Uh, Usman is, has taken down Colby Covington. He's taken down Jorge Masvidal, uh, and and it was Gilbert Burns who was supposed to fight Usman on Saturday. Well. Saturday night, many Saturday nights ago when Jorge Masvidal stepped in on short notice and was defeated soundly. I I look forward to a rematch there with maybe Masvidal getting a full training camp. But anyway, this Saturday night, Gilbert Burns getting a shot up against uh, Kamara Usman. I don't know how many of you guys love UFC or or fighting in general, but this is going to be a pretty good fight. Uh, Don't sleep on Gilbert Burns. He's he's kind of an up-and-comer. This is his big test. I think Usman is the better fighter. And Usman will probably take the fight, but I could see Gilbert Burns putting up a fight, maybe taking it to the judges' scorecards, maybe uh, winning a couple rounds. But I think Usman will probably take three of the rounds and and be the uh, the declared winner. So a great fight on Saturday night. I'm hoping I can get out of work in a timely manner, hustle home and see the main event. If not, I might have to pull over and uh, watch it on my phone. It is a pay per view event, but. Uh, you know, for for fights like this, I, I like to tune in. I'm looking forward to that on Saturday night. Okay. Get Home Safe Podcast today. Talking a lot of high school football on Friday. Saturday, you got a great fight on Saturday night. And Sundays, fellas, ladies, hey, let's uh, get together and enjoy each other's day. There's no NFL on, so have a nice have a nice Valentine's uh, whatever uh, gathering or you know moment together, whatever. I, fellas, again, put the effort out. I think the ladies appreciate it. 
We do appreciate it. And, and that's a good thing, right? So everyone have a great weekend. But first, enjoy this episode uh, of the Get Home Safe podcast, a fun conversation I had with Mike Murphy. So I will step aside and let you guys listen to it. I think it's, uh, like I said, it's like an infomercial <laughs> for real hundo prep football. But, uh, you know, a lot of people who listen to this program are big fans of Rio football. And I think even if you're not, you will appreciate some of the, uh, the memories and stories and definitely lessons that, that come up in this conversation. So let's get right to it. And our Friday conversation with Mike Murphy. Okay. Today we are joined by a very special guest. One of my uh, former coaches back in the day of my playing days at Cary Youth League. Uh, we're joined today by Mike Murphy, uh, a member of the class of 1978 from Rio Hondo Prep, someone who played in that legendary 1977 CIF football championship, uh, someone who's a retired teacher, uh, taught at the elementary school level for around 30 years. He's been a coach in Cary Youth League for over 40 years, uh, retired from both currently, but uh, a lot of things to catch up on. So let's get right to it. Mr. Mike Murphy, welcome to the program. Thank you. Great to be with you, Matt. Oh, man. Well, I, I asked you kind of, hey, when are you free? What uh, When can we set aside some time? And uh, you said, hey, I'm retired. I'm good to go anytime. How's retired life treating you? You know, retirement would be great, except as I, you know, shared with you earlier, I unfortunately made the huge mistake of investing in some businesses. And uh, when the pandemic hit, it's just been, it's, it, my businesses, I've got two pretzel shops in the West Covina Mall, Auntie Anne's, and because, um, you know, there's just no, no traffic there, there's no people in the mall. The business has been really bad, so it's been extremely stressful. So I look forward to a relaxing retirement, but right now with the businesses, it's it's been pretty stressful. Mm, interesting. Well, uh, Mr. Murphy, you've you've always been someone who's worked with with kids. Uh, you coached me when I was in sixth grade. Uh, you know, we'll get to all that. And but uh, walking away from teaching forty, uh, you said thirty years of teaching um, at the elementary yeah. school level, and then forty years of uh, coaching. I mean. What ultimately kind of led to you saying, all right, I've put in my time. It's time to uh, step away. Uh, I mean, that's a long time to do something, let alone two, two uh, crafts like that. Well, I, I've noticed, you know, because I've been teaching so long, that teachers get to a point in their lives when they get older where they just don't have the patience they used to have. And so I didn't have the patience or energy that I thought it took to really do a good job. You know, it's kind of like when you lose your passion. <laughs> and uh, I knew I was at that point because coaching and teaching, I just loved. I mean, every day I just loved. It was just a joy to do. But then, you know, in the last few years, it wasn't there anymore. <laughs> that joy it became a job. <laughs> <laughs> and once it became a job and, um, then I knew it was time to move on because it's not fair to the kids that you work with when you don't have the patience and energy and passion to do it anymore. Well, uh, yeah, teaching is definitely a profession uh, that requires all that. And, and you know, the, the people that go into it are special people. Uh, what did you know you always wanted to be a teacher? You always wanted to be in the classroom and working with kids. Is that something you went into right away after high school? Uh, well, 
So yes and no to those questions. When I was in sixth grade, I wrote an essay that when I grew up, I was going to be a teacher and I was going to coach at Care Youth League. Mm. But um, as soon as I graduated from college, I was, and even in college, I, I taught a couple of classes at Rio, high school and middle school. And I wasn't prepared and I didn't really enjoy, you know, I didn't really have any teacher training at that point. And I think it wasn't maybe not the right age for me because here I was all fired up about English and how great English was. And I discovered my students didn't have the same enthusiasm and love for English that I did, you know, <laughs> go figure. And um, so I actually had stepped away from it for, oh, I don't know, just a couple years, maybe three years or something. Then uh, Mr. Francis Ostergaard, again, who was extremely influential in my life, he, uh, he would tell me, so what you, you know, what'd you go to college for? You got your degree for what to, you know, whatever I was doing at the time, drive a truck, clean offices, whatever, you know, I, I did all kinds of odd jobs. Is that what you got your uh, college degree for? So he really pushed me into teaching. And so I just started out as a substitute teacher at Glen Oak Elementary School, my very first day, second grade. And I didn't know what I was doing. And I was really nervous, substitute teacher. And I went into the classroom and I told those second graders, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm gonna need your help. And um, that very first day of substitute teaching, I knew, I said, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is just, I loved it. Wow. I loved it for almost my entire career. I loved working with the kids. That is uh, outstanding. And uh, to, to know at 11 years old, that's what you wanted to do. Wow, that's that's impressive. I don't know how many 11-year-olds knew that, knew what they wanted to do and, and went after it like that. That's that's pretty awesome stuff. Uh, and and did you ever, you, you said you, t- you taught a little bit at junior high, high school at Rio for briefly, but did you always kind of know you were meant to work in the elementary school level doing that your entire career? No, I, I figured it would be, you know, high school and middle school. It was a surprise to me that I enjoyed. But the thing about about elementary kids is they just, you can get them excited about anything. You know, when you get to the middle school and high school, they're too cool to care. And they don't want to show they're excited, even if they are. And so it's working with the, that's why I say that first day in second grade, working with the elementary kids and see them so excited about learning and so excited about everything. I used to just for fun, because I knew I could. I could get my students excited about anything. So I would just pick something stupid someday to get them excited about, just to get them excited about something stupid because I could, and it was fun to do. <laughs> that that definitely keeps it interesting for you as well, for the adult in the room <laughs> to uh, you know keep things going. Uh, hey, instead of talking about a subject, another time, another year, you know, going through it, I can I can imagine how that would be a good tactic. Uh, for self-sanity even in a room full of second, third, and fourth graders uh, to, to really keep things, uh, like you said, exciting. Uh, yeah, so when I started teaching, like at the high school and, and middle school, I, I was teaching subjects. But when I started teaching elementary school, I wasn't teaching subjects anymore. I was teaching students. I was teaching kids. And that was different in the focus, you know, from teaching a subject to just teaching the kids. It's just a mindset. And I had student teachers all the time when I was teaching. I had Art Tashkison. He was my student teacher. That's yes, her. 
And the one advice I would give them always is have fun. Mm. If you have fun, the kids will have fun. Enjoy it because you spend too long at this, at any <laughs> job. If you don't enjoy it, it's not worth it. So that was my advice to all my student teachers. Oh, it's, it's great advice. Uh, hey, Mr. Murphy, do you have a TV on or something there in the background? It kind of, it's kind of some. Got Zoom. They're Zooming. I've got. Oh, okay. No worries. No I worries. Here. I moved out here so I could plug in my phone because I wasn't, it wasn't going to last the whole time. No worries. No worries. It's not, it's not too bad. I was just like, hey, what does that sound in the background? That's all good. Uh, you know who it is? It's Devin Drain teaching. Devin, <laughs> Dra- Devin, keep Devin. it down. Keep it down, Devin. My classmate, former, uh, former classmate, Devin Drain. Devin, keep it down over there. I'm going to text him and be like, hey, what are you doing? Oh, that's funny. Talking about teachers. Uh, okay, so. In, in elementary school, you, you knew what you wanted to do. That's awesome. Tell me about uh, how you became uh, a member of CARE Youth League. How did that all happen? Like, did you just stumble upon the, uh, uh, the, the property one day? Did you hear it from someone else? When did that all begin? Well, I grew up on a street called Pilgrim Way, and absolutely everybody, it was full of kids, full of kids all ages, and everybody was in CARE Youth League everybody on the street and i had um, an older brother and sister that were already in and i'm assuming that they were in for the same reason because everybody on the street was but it's possible that my oldest sister who's four years older she's the same age as like john martin charlie parsons it's possible she joined because of my uncle bill orsberg oh really when I joined Care Youth League, when I was younger, people always assumed that I joined because of my uncle, but I didn't really know him at that time because he was in the service. And so actually when I joined, he wasn't around. And so I didn't really know him. I joined in 1966 when I was six years old. And he was back then it was during the Vietnam War. So mm-hmm. everyone got it back then. Mm-hmm. So he was gone during those years. I joined because everybody else on my street played and back then it was boys christian league yeah joined a team called the crystal condors and (laughs) crystal didn't last i mean it was i was the very last condor the endangered species i was the last condor we ended up becoming a part of a new team called superior the superior spartans okay yeah and uh bill orsburn coached uh, superior a long time so kind of interesting connection there i had forgot that that you guys were related um uh it's been a long time but yeah bill orsburn i went to school with uh, his son alex uh so very very interesting stuff there uh it's so funny how small the world is at times and the different connections and things um so becoming the last condor and and joining uh, boys christian league did you absolutely fall in love with it right away like most of us did i did yeah and I wasn't really much of an athlete. So I think I was one of those guys that just loved being part of a team and putting on the uniform. I loved the club meetings. I loved the Bible lessons. I loved learning about God and I loved the outings. So for me, like I say, I I was probably pretty terrible back then, but it was just about being part of the team and playing because we always, even at home, we always played sports every day we'd be out in the street playing football you know baseball wiffle ball whatever basketball so we were always playing sports growing up you know it wasn't 
we weren't we weren't part of that generation that stayed inside playing video games. We're always <laughs> outside playing sports. Yes, absolutely. I remember uh, the grass stains. I mean, if I got grass, which I always did, if I got grass stains on my pants, my mom was mad, but she was also happy I was outside running around. Uh, so yeah, I was just like, okay, there's a, they could, the kids could be doing worse things and getting grass stains on their on their pants, playing football outside and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't understand the whole video game thing uh, all day like some kids do. Uh, so you're going through care and then, uh, that, that big decision, really, it's not always just the kid's decision, but the parents have, uh, <laughs> some, some, uh, some say in this too, but, but going to real Hondo prep at that time, was it element was real in elementary or a junior high thing started at seventh grade back then seventh. Okay. And so what was that decision for you? Uh, did you know you absolutely wanted to go? Do you have to convince your parents or anything? Yes and yes. Um, <laughs> when I was, I joined in 1966, and I had a sister four years older. So even as a very young boy, I went to the Rio games. I saw Ken Drain play. Wow! And, and his team. Yeah, I went to all those games. Every game, every home game. So I always went there. Uh, my sister went to Rio, so she's four years older than than I am. So when I was in third grade, she started going to Rio. So I always wanted to, um, I always, and I was like you, Matt, I was so into care, you know, it was mm-hmm. everything. For me. And, um, but by the time my brother and I got to that age, my mom very much didn't want us to go and really fought us to where, you know, I'm pretty persistent. And so <laughs> I would bother, bother her all the time you know ask her can I go can I go and she always said no and she's one day she said if you ask me one more time you can't go to care youth league anymore oh so I never asked her again I prayed every day every night I prayed that I would be able to go and um at that time it was a little bit of a turbulent time I went to um a very diverse school and uh, grew up, my friends were, you know, we had all races and ethnicities at our school. And we grew up in that and didn't, didn't think anything of it. Um, you know, they, they were my friends. We played together all the time. But there were some racial tensions. Like I went to Santa Fe Middle School for sixth grade. Um, there were some racial tensions at the high school at that time. And so I think that's what convinced my mom to let my brother and I go to Rio. Interesting. Very interesting. Uh, you know, I've, I've seen parents and uh, that have been hesitant really to send their kids to Rio. And, and even my parents, I was going to private school. Um, they had kind of left it up to me a little bit, uh, but yeah, there, there was this, there was always this hesitant, like, eh, I don't know if you should do that, but I, I got to say that most people who do end up going to Rio the parents that make that decision, I, I think if they look back they're they're incredibly glad that they did. I can't think of too many parents really that regret sending their kids to Rio because the overall experience you get there is, uh, is, is really remarkable. And so did your, did your mom, do you, did you, did she uh, kind of express that later on? She, how glad she was maybe that <laughs> she decided to send you there? No, she did because back then, and it's incredible to me to, to think of this now. Um, you know, 
I would never tell my mom where I was. And there were nights I would go to a friend's house and just work all night on some project. And she told me, she goes, I never worried about you because <laughs> I knew you were safe and what you were doing was okay because of, of Rio. My younger brother, who didn't get to go to Rio, he had to call her anytime. He was going to be, he always worried about, he knew the environment I was in was, you know, nothing bad was going to happen. That is interesting. That is, uh, yeah. Hey, <laughs> if you go to this school, you don't got to call mom and check in. But if you go to this other school, you got to. That, that's really funny. Oh, back, then. Yeah. <laughs> back then. Now it's very different. I know. <laughs> oh, I love it. So, uh, Mr. Murphy, we got to talk uh, real Hondo prep football because you are not only someone who loves football, you love real Hondo football specifically. And you played in the greatest game, I think, that uh, ever took place at uh, care at Carefield 1977 CIF football championship. Uh, you guys played Montclair prep who had beaten you guys earlier that season. That was your only loss. If I remember correctly, and you played them, uh, you, you guys were victorious in triple overtime and I've seen the game film many times. It's one of my favorite videos I, I watch cause it's, it's so cool. It's, it's got the music in the background and everything. And, um, I mean, Scott Weidman, Gary Shintaku, uh, Craig Klingman, Chuck Mariotti, uh, Greg Bollinger, uh, so many guys on that team, names that just jump off the page. I could read the whole banner. Just, I, I don't even know where to start with this. Talk to me about the 1977 football season and the buildup yeah. into that, that championship game. Well, Montclair had beaten us the previous year in the playoffs as well. So they were the oh. defending champions. Oh. It was a heartbreaking game the year before. And um, then, it, as you say, they beat us in preseason. That was our only loss. Um, so, yeah, that was really beating Montclair. I mean, back then they were, you know, pretty much considered unbeatable. I think they were at least undefeated for two years at least two straight years undefeated. And uh, that championship game, they had two running backs rush for over 200 yards each in that game. <laughs> and those guys were really amazing. Fast. Yeah, really. They, um, they just had all CIF players everywhere. They were just dominant. So it was amazing. Um, so in that game, we as I recall, we had the lead at halftime. We were up something like, I don't know, 37 to 20 or something. Anyway, I was feeling really good like we have this game. I have to tell you this too. I was really confident going into the game. I figured we were going to win because in the first game, we didn't have our best player, you know, our all CIF linebacker tailback, Ken Fuller. And so even without our best player, we should have won the game you know we were we were beating them in the first game they came back at the end to beat us um so i felt really confident we had the lead and we were a second half team every game the season so i was feeling really good but they came back they took the lead um so they have i think a one touchdown lead they're marching down the field you might remember this yes Marching down the field, they've got fourth and and short, and I was right there. They, 
it was one of those plays where it would be reviewed over and over and over again. <laughs> that instant replay back then. Did the ball cross the goal line or did his knee hit first? I remember I was right there and I thought he scored a touchdown. But there was uh, one of our players, I don't remember, it was Jim Hanna or Greg Bollinger or Dave McClellan. They were pointing to the ground. He was down here. He was down here. He was down here. Yeah. And sure enough, the, the refs marked it there like on the one foot line. So we had not much time. I mean, if they would have scored that touchdown. It's over. You know. Yeah. It's over. And they were like a foot short or so. We had to go the length of the field. Um, and we were driving. It was fourth down and short. And there was about, I think, like a minute 40 or something left in the game. And it was fourth down and short. And that's where the play happened. The play where, and Mr. Johnson was debating, do we do this? You know, he's been saving. (laughs) This is a play never run in the game. This is a play. He said, we might need this sometime. Had never run. We ran it in practice. So we faked the quarterback's knee because it was fourth and short, hiked it through the legs. Chuck Mariotti, phenomenal athlete, great fullback. Um, that play ran around, hiked it to the fullback through the quarterback's legs. He ran around the end and remember that at the end, he dives into the end zone. It was just great. Chuck was just, Chuck's a great person. Love Chuck. Great player. He was the, he made the play of the game in Rio Hondo prep history. So much love to Chuck. Um, so that was, uh, that tied it. I can't. Um, the field goal tied it. The, yeah. The big extra point from Klingman. And as the, uh, as a guy who was a holder on extra points and field goals, I mean, that had to be nerve wracking situation for everybody. The yeah. snap. <laughs> we won the game. Yeah. We won the game because, well, obviously Chuck's great. I mean, uh, it, it's a whole team effort. The offensive yeah. line. I mean, we scored 51 points. The offensive line was amazing. Uh, well, I guess you can't say the defense was amazing. <laughs> we gave up 45 <laughs> points, but those guys were ridiculous. Yeah. But, um, yeah. but Craig Klingman made every extra point. I believe he made a field goal as well. And he scored two touchdowns as the wide receiver. So, wow. Uh, huge for Craig, obviously huge game for Chuck. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I can't imagine. Okay. In that situation, I guess every coach has a play that they practice and practice. They, they hope they never have to use it, but you have, you know, in your back pocket, I can't imagine in the biggest situation of a championship game, you call a play that you've never called in a game and that you've never seen in a game and you're just hoping and praying it works. So you, you got to commend the guts of legendary coach Randall Johnson for pushing the buttons and making that call. He called timeout and he was discussing, should we do it? Should we do it? Because if it doesn't work, we lose the game. But the truth is we were a grinder. We were a grinded out team. We may not have had time to drive the length of the field anyway. There was only, I think we scored the touchdown with like a minute 37 and, um, Maybe we were about midfield at that point. And so the truth is we were not a big play team. We were a, you know, three yards in a cloud of dust team. We were a ram it down your throat. So we may not have had time to drive down the field if you didn't do it then. Who who was the, uh, who was the center? Mike McGarren. Mike McGarren. McGarren was amazing. 
Yeah. Mike McGarren was the center and he was the nose guard, led our team in tackles for the season. Oh, I love it. Really, really underrated athlete. He's, um, you know, he's Devin's uncle. Devin's uncle. Hey, yeah. yeah. Devin's kept it down. He's, he's quieted down a little bit in the back room there. That's good. Uh, yeah. Mike McGarren, what a, what a football player. Cause I asked because I mean, to hike the ball through the quarterback's legs, like a shotgun snap through the quarterback's leg. I've actually tried it before. It's not easy. <laughs> it's, it's not, not easy. easy because I've run it with my teams. And <laughs> it takes a lot of practice. And even when I try to show them how to do it, it's not easy. No, I, I can't imagine a pressure situation like that to do that. And then as the quarterback, even I have like, okay, you're going to hike it through our legs. Like, how does this work? And uh, to execute that play the way that everybody did is, is just unbelievable in the pressure situation legendary play i saw a post about chuck mariotti running uh, on social media of him running the ball up the sideline uh very very cool stuff uh legendary game you guys uh, triple overtime you, you mr murphy uh it was it was cool seeing you a defensive end an undersized defensive end I, if i remember correctly you had all the all the pads and the, the forearm stuff you you were a pretty tough football player yourself I had all the padding because I'd broken my wrist, both oh, wrists. Oh man! So I used to tape my wrists, but I sometimes the ref, like I remember one time the ref made me take off tape. He said you've got too much tape there. But yeah, because I had broken my wrist, I, I had my I had the big arm pads, and that's so I could kind of you know swing <laughs> the arms a little bit. And uh, that's defensive line is where I always wanted to play. I got to play there as a sophomore. I loved it. But because I was not big and because I was quick and fast, uh, Mr. Lunny always wanted me to play corner. And so I played corner all that year and corner all the year before. Um, for the, but I wasn't really a good corner because my instinct, my mindset is to always go forward, mm. to be aggressive. And at corner, you have to stop. You have to read. You know, you have to cover the pass as well as the sweep. And I was really good at covering the sweep. I don't think they ever got around me. Not as good covering the pass because my instinct is to come forward. Yeah. Go up. So the championship game, I actually got to play. So in the playoffs, uh, Dave McClellan moved up from JVs. He played corner. And... um, so the championship game, I got to play defensive line that I wanted to do, you know, basically all my life. And I, and I that game was probably the, the only game my senior year anyway. I led the team in tackles that game. And so I wish I could have played defensive line the whole time. I would have loved that. I think I could have. Uh, I would have been a lot better on the line than I than I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and it's, and it's not meant as a, you know, a negative comment at all by any means, but like, I mean, you look at yourself in the uniform as a defensive lineman, you didn't look like a defensive lineman. Uh, it was a very much like a typical real Hondo, uh, you know, approach. Like we, they put guys in positions at Rio, maybe that don't fit the mold, but there is no mold at Rio. That's one of the things that makes Rio football so special is, Guys play different positions that you wouldn't think they would, but Rio makes it work. And, you know, you just said to yourself there, you enjoyed that uh, mindset of a defensive lineman and leading the team in tackles. Hey, I, I think you were doing something right. Well, I was 5'7", 147, <laughs> but I was always I was always quicker than whoever was lined up 
in front of me. Yeah. So I could, I could buy them. <laughs> well, uh, the first eight man CIF football championship in Rio Hondo history, that's what people don't realize is, you know, w- with the great tradition Rio has had, that was the first one. So for you guys to get over the hump in that manner that you did it had to be just truly special. So take, I think, didn't Chuck Mariotti score the winning touchdown as well in over in triple overtime? Well, that I'm not, I think he did. I'm pretty sure he did. It was either Chuck. I think it was Chuck. It might've been a Scott Weidman quarterback sneak. It was one of the two. Yeah. It's a blur, right? But, but when whoever it was crossed that goal line, take me through that feeling of, of when you, you see your teammate cross the goal line for the walk-off touchdown knowing you guys have just defeated uh your your team the rivals that you hadn't been able to to, to beat before or championship. it was it was a totally you know unbelievable feeling of euphoria that i've never felt any other time in my life uh again i had been going to real hondo prep games since i was like first or second grade that was always the dream. The dream was always to be on that field and win a CIF championship, especially coming so close the year before losing to Montclair in the semifinals. Um, but it was our first eight man. We'd won a six man championship four years before against brethren. That was the John Martin, you know, that age, Charlie mm-hmm. Parson, that group. Um, so the thing I remember about that and, what's you know naive me i always figured we were going to win there was never a time when i didn't think we were going to win it wasn't until like after the game that i realized we could have lost it had never dawned on me but the thing i remember about that game that was just all the pent-up emotion for all the rio fans who've been waiting so long for that championship um i just remember after the game, the the fans poured on the field, the stands emptied out, and these people that you don't even know are coming up and hugging you. You know, yeah, people yeah. you would never hug in your life. These people just just hugging you, and everybody's so happy. It was just um, because again, that was our first eight man, and um, we got to a point, and I think it was around when you played, where we were kind of like winning every year. Yeah, and kind of lost that like special like we haven't done this. So many people have worked so hard for so long and now we finally got over the hump. Yeah. Um, but that feeling was just amazing. Undescribable. Oh, oh man. I, I've, I remember as a kid, we go up to Mount care and you know, our, our leaders, uh, Gary Shintaku with the Gators, Scott Weidman on the, the Cardinals and uh, you know, other, other coaches who were involved in that game they they throw on the video when we watch that game. Hey, this look at look how fast Mr. Shintaku was. Hey, there's Mr. Murphy. Hey, there's Mr. Bollinger. Hey, there's Mr. You know, you're pointing at all these people uh, in the game, and just like I remember thinking to myself, man, that would be cool to do one day to 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 be a real Hondo prep. And this was the '90s when everyone seemed to be winning championships at Rio, and like you said, started to lose its luster a little bit. Um, but I got to tell you, the 2001 football season comes around and I'm a junior and we're playing our final year of eight man football at Rio Hondo prep. And the expectation is always to hang a banner at Rio. And we had a tough season. We, uh, I think we went into the playoffs with three losses, uh, had a few playoff victories. We get to this championship game and um, 
no team at Rio had won a championship, I think, with that many losses. And we were up against this team called Calvary Chapel, Joshua Springs, who had defeated everybody, everybody. Uh, their average score was like 50 to two or something. Yeah, they skunked uh, everyone. They didn't have any complete games, right? They, they, they didn't They didn't complete games. Yeah, they had the, the 45 points or more. You ended the game at halftime. Uh, we went into this game up against Joshua Springs and they had a all everything running back Colin Woodbury. Um, we had absolutely no chance to, to beat the, the fact that we got to the championship was great, but we were not supposed to win this game. And I remember thinking about the 1977 game and thinking, well, you know, those guys weren't supposed to win either. Maybe we, you know, and also to your mindset, Mr. Murphy, I never, I didn't go into any game I ever played thinking, uh, we're not going to win. I thought I was Never. the type of guy. I always thought yeah. we can win any game. I don't care who we play. Yeah. So anyway, um, my long winded story. We have the, you guys have the greatest game in, in RHP history, 1977. I would argue our 2001 championship game is second or third place, maybe a close second. And uh, we, again, an overtime victory in a championship game and uh, a, a really fond memory for me winning that game. And as you mentioned just now about people coming out of the stands and hugging you, and I will never forget that as the game ended, you were somebody I remember coming out and I did. I remember that too. You come out on the field and I'm thinking, wow, all these guys from the past, the previous winners, guys from the 77 team are out here celebrating with us. This is unbelievable. So anyway, I'll stop talking and let you talk about the 2001 championship uh, game at Rio. What are your memories of that game? Well, the, I think the great, great thing about Real Hondo football, I got to experience it as a little kid in the stands watching my coaches mm-hmm. out there. Then I got to experience it myself. And then I would say, other than experiencing it myself, the real joy is watching the people I coach out there playing like you. And so it's always a joy. When you're out on the field, it's not just you. It's like all those generations of Rio Hondo football out there with you. When you won that game, we all won. And um, (laughs) I remember that game again, like you said, it is my second favorite because of all the championship games. I think I only remember mine and yours. Um, I was on the Joshua Springs sideline for that game. Oh, and those people, those people were, I don't, I don't know whether I was keeping chains at that time because for years and years I was on the chain crew. So I'm guessing I was on the chain crew. Um, I love that. That was a, that was a great job as well, but all those people were so arrogant and like our game, your game, their team had like a film crew there. They were filming it. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, that, that film that, that you've watched of our game so many times and so many people have watched (laughs) that's because Mark was so confident they hired a professional film crew. They had four different big cameras, you know, big, real, real deal cameras out there filming from four different angles. Uh, they were so confident they were going to win. Um, that's the same with your game as Joshua Springs was so confident they were filming the game. I remember the people in the stands and the people on the sideline, they just, you know, there was no way they were going to lose. They didn't have any close games. There was no way we were going to beat them. That was the and most cool I've ever seen. Out. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just came out and punched him in the gut. 
and they weren't used to that. They weren't used to being hit in the gut. They didn't know how to react to that. Just the total, you know, let the air out of their balloon. That was just, uh, it was just amazing, (laughs) amazing upset. Like, you know, like our game, we weren't favored. We were going against the juggernaut like you were. And I think that's what made it so special. I would much, much rather do that than come in as a heavy favorite and just blow the team out. And, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, yeah. I think that's why our two games are the ones that I remember the most and what makes them so special. Not a bad way to have the the first eight-man championship and the last eight-man championship in, in right. Rio. Very poetic, very, oh, man, I, I get goosebumps. But I've you never seen it any better. No, no, you couldn't. Uh, I, I've never seen Carefield that full. I remember I felt like they brought their entire city with them. They had trailers and lights, and they had stuff everywhere uh, on that sideline. And I think they scored first. I got faked out of my socks. I was I was ready to tackle this guy. He made a move. I don't know what happened. I collapsed. My ankles were broken. And um, but then we, I think we answered. Um, I remember recovering two fumbles in that game. We they fumbled. I jumped on it. We scored. We kicked off. Mike Lau, a foreign, this is how crazy Rio is. Uh, Mike Lau, a foreign exchange student from Taiwan, makes a huge hit <laughs> on a kickoff, jars the ball loose. I jump on that. We score again, and it was like, okay, we got this. We can take, we can play with these guys. So mm-hmm. little moments that <laughs> still speak out to you. You know, you talked about the, the tackle in that game uh, of your game, the, the one foot line, and then Chuck Mariotti, the big play. And, I don't know how we won that game. I really don't. Looking back, after, like you said, oh, man, we could have lost. <laughs> Landon Goodwill was a freshman, uh, made some amazing plays in that game. Uh, just a, a really great experience. And uh, you've mentioned it already, Mr. Murphy, but, but I don't know. what. Why is Rio Hondo, even today, 11-man era, right? Why is Rio Hondo prep football just so special? How could you, how could you bottle it up and, and sell that to people, if you would? Real Honda football is like that small Texas town where the whole town shuts down and everybody goes to the game. And when you're playing on the field, there are just like generations of mm-hmm. players who are watching you play who went out and experienced that themselves. Like say that the special thing for me was seeing Matt Hersema as a young, <laughs> you know, started watching you playing and on the Gators and then come up and play on my team and then go up and play high school. You get to see the kids grow up and play and you get to experience, like I say, what makes it special. I experienced it from all three perspectives as the young kid watching, dreaming, watching the, my heroes, my coaches out there, uh, experiencing as a player and then experiencing it as a former player. And especially as a coach, seeing those kids that you coached as, as, when they were younger and see how they developed. And, and some of those guys, you know, you were always a quarterback, you were always an athlete, but there've been so many guys that I've coached where when they were younger, they just weren't athletic. They weren't football players at all. And they ended up going and playing because everybody does playing varsity football for real Hondo prep and being really good and being contributing to a championship team guys that you wouldn't expect. So, well, me no one would have, I would have never played football anywhere else mm. except for Hondo you know so I think that's what makes it we've always had just the best coaching the coaching staff then now you know when you were 
did you have the same coaching staff that I had? Did you have Randall Johnson? So, so um, when I was a soft, were you Ken Drain? Uh, Ken Drain. It was it was an interesting time when I was in high school and and making going from kind of JB to varsity. It was that transition time where uh, Randall Johnson in 2000, he was, he was around, uh, they were kind of grooming Mr. Drain to take over. And then in 2001, my junior year, uh, he did, Mr. Drain did take over full-time Mr. Johnson retired. And it was kind of a, it was, I talked to Mr. Drain about this kind of the, the transition of power and taking the reins. Right. Because I remember as a freshman, I think I, I messed up, a uh, in summer workouts, double sessions, I messed up a pitch or something on a, and multiple back-to-back plays. And I remember Mr. Johnson just the legendary Randall Johnson looking at me and saying something like, uh, you know, we can't move forward until you fix this or something like that. And I was just like, Oh man, what do I, I'm, I'm not good enough to play real football. And um, so, yeah, he, he was kind of uh, in the process of retiring. We'll say as uh, in the middle of my high school. Well, he, he had Alzheimer's then. Yeah. And yeah. by then they knew it. And so it was why he, uh, he obviously was great. I don't know how many championships he won. You can't talk about real Hondo football no. without talking about Gary Lunny mm. and his job as the defensive coordinator. He was the defensive coach when I was around and, you know, for so long. But when you think back at real Hondo football, there have only been four head coaches and they're all great. They're all phenomenal. Mike Dowd, who coached six man, and then Randall Johnson, who coached eight man. Um, um, Ken Drain, who took over, and so Ken was the bridge, coach yeah. eight and 11, <laughs> and now Mark Carson. And Mark Carson is an amazing coach, uh, he's a great coach. Mark, again, is one of those guys that's just a privilege for me. I got to coach him when he was a young kid. Oh, wow, and he was always really, he was always a really smart player. Mark was not big and he was not fast, he was a lot like you as a player. I think he played quarterback for us. He wasn't big. He wasn't fast, but super smart, you know, had the, the, the savvy, the football intelligence, football IQ. And so um, all those coaching staffs, only four head coaches, and they've all won championships and they've all been amazing and have great programs and just kept it going. Yeah, it's it's really, you know, you have a responsibility when you take over and Ken Drain is successful. Mark's been amazing uh, into this new era, really, of, of real football. And yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some more games here in the future. I know this year has been kind of a wash, which is, uh, you know, I would say that too. You talk about the coaches, every coach, every coach has taken the program to another level, to the next level. Oh, yeah. Every built on the previous coach and then taken it to the next level. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I, I think I said this a few months back, but real Hondo prep, I believe is the, I mean, think about it. I don't know how there's a way to prove this, but it's the only football program I know where all of the coaches, all of them are guys who played in the program. Um, yeah. it, you know, so they, you know, have some outsider coming in and building a new product or something. You, everyone has, a responsibility for the success of the program because they're carrying on the tradition, you know, of, uh, of their playing days and now their coaching days. And, and man, when you start to see players, kids of players play or relatives, I mean, that is just something that's really special for everyone. Oh, I have to tell you something. You bring that up. It was, it's funny uh, because I was coaching so long. I ran into one of my former players once and uh, he told me, 
yeah, my grandson plays in the program now. Oh. I said, what? How is that possible? <laughs> my player's grandson plays in the program now. And so I ran into another former player who was like the same age as him. I said, you know, you won't believe it. I just ran into this guy. His grandson plays now. And he said, yeah, I've got grandkids in the program too. So yeah, that is amazing. <laughs> oh, that's unbelievable. I want to see Matt Hersema Jr. out there. Oh, oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. I mean, uh, come on. Yeah. Oof, that's a scary thought. I, I got some old Gator jerseys somewhere, but uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> We're running that, that triple option uh, uh, back in the day. Uh, l- let me ask you. So, you you were a Gator coach. You and uh, Gary Shintaku coached together for the uh, Glendora Gators. Mm-hmm. And, and then you, you eventually ended up going from there to coaching the sixth grade program, but you and Gary still had kind of a pretty close relationship. You played football in high school together, obviously. And um, I don't know. I always felt like you two guys were always bouncing ideas off each other. It seemed like, or kind of not coaching together anymore, but always kind of coaching together. It seemed like. Obviously I learned a lot from Gary. Gary is just a brilliant football coach. He's really a brilliant coach in all the sports. So yeah, I learned a lot from him and um, how he looks at things and how he sees things. And we played together in junior high. Then we played together three years in high school. And then coaching Gators together is when we really got close. But yeah, so we always, even when we were coaching against each other, I remember after a championship game, Panthers against 49ers, maybe it was your brother. Did your brother beat us when he was on the 49ers? Uh, I, I don't well. Oh, no, I don't think. You know who? No, I'll tell you who won that game. It was, I thought it was, didn't Mr. Parker and the Packers beat you guys that year? The Cornell? beat us once. And then I don't we lost, I think, to the 49ers twice. So okay. in the 11 years that I coached junior high, we went to championship all 11 years. <laughs> One, eight of them. Lost once to Joe Parker. That was the John Collins team. Yes. John Collins. We were a better team, you know. So, really, it was probably my fault. Didn't didn't do it. Didn't. <laughs> you know, it, it's part of the problem when you go in as the favorite and the dumb. I think all the championships, I've, the three championships I lost, we were the first place team and expected to win. And so you do that, you come in kind of complacent doing the things you've always done. Whereas when you come in as the underdog, well, now we can talk about your championship game as a Panther. (laughs) When you come in, like knowing you have to change some things, you have to do some things different. uh, I think it gives you a little advantage. So, but what I started to say was there was a game where, um, we were playing against the 49ers in championship. We lost the game, but after the game, both teams went out together. We had kind of like a party together. And <laughs> I don't remember, both teams were really close. We'd scrimmage each other. We would yeah. help each other. Like, uh, like if we were in championship, they weren't, you know, we'd scrimmage, they'd help us to prepare. Um, but your game. So that takes us to your game. One of the legends, this is funny because I told you that aside from my varsity championship game, yours is the only one I re- really remember. Your game as a Panther is the one out of, okay, remember, we went there 11 straight years, won eight of them, six in a row. 
yours is the one I remember the most. Oh, wow. Right. So this is what I remember yours. We had um, lost to the team last time we played them. They were, what was the name of the team? Giants. Giants, okay. So the Giants, we lost to the Giants. They were, they had this beast, Jonathan Nandy. Jonathan Nandy. <laughs> he was big and he was fast. And they had another really fast guy. It was his last name, Baruman. That uh, sounds right. I'm trying to remember. Uh, anyway, another really fast. They were both coral guys. Really fast guy. And they had beat us the, the time before that we played them. Mm -hmm. Didn't they? Pretty much clobber us. Do you remember? Soundly, the yeah, before? they beat us. They beat us good. I, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, I like. What are we going to do against these guys? Nothing we do is working because they're just big and fast. Well, and at the oh. time, it was it was a combo league too. It was it was uh, okay. mostly sixth seventh, graders, but seventh I mean, graders. Seventh. Yeah, it was a sixth and seventh grade league, and so we were all sixth graders. We had. <laughs> maybe three guys we had brandon good who was as good as anyone in the league yeah we kevin puig kevin puig yeah football player we man had uh andrew soto yes <laughs> soto was a beast on the line yeah he was, he was too big he could only be offensive line because he was so only big offensive line. If, if you know if he could have played any position we just would have dominated nothing oh yeah it wouldn't have been close, but he can only play <laughs> offensive line. The Soto, yeah. So he was a beast. Brandon Good was a great quarterback, and uh, Kevin Puig was a really good fullback and and defense. But other than that, it was all sixth graders, and that sixth grade group that you had is the best, most talented group I've ever had in one age, one. I don't know how we got so many good players on that team. And I know I'm going to forget people, but it was you and Nick Fuentes and Jan Balon and George Colley, um, Jordan Ross, who was playing Raiders that year. He didn't because he was smaller. Julius Carthan, who was also playing Raiders because mm -hmm. he was smaller. Uh, I started, I, I started Raiders and, you know, I was on the Raiders. First of all, when, when you're in Cary Youth League and you get, you know, you go to the sixth grade league at the time, it was, you know, the NFL teams, the sixth grade league was AFC. The seventh grade league was the NFC. And, uh, you know, one thing, Mr. Murphy, when, you know, my father taught me <laughs> growing up to hate the Raiders, that was just something. <laughs> and then I ended I up too. I ended up playing for your Raiders team. Uh, that almost broke my dad's back. It broke his heart. I mean, putting on a Raider uniform. Uh, but anyway, I switched. I love the uniforms, though. I hated the Raiders, but I love the uniforms. I, I know. Oh, man. I got some grief from friends because I was on the Raiders for the first part of the season and then uh, got got bumped up to the the Panther team, a mid season acquisition, if you will. Some people were like, "Oh, you're just you just because Raiders were bad. You don't you're just not used to losing." And I was like, "Well, yeah, I'm not used to losing. That is, that is you true. Used to losing. You're on a good Gator team. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I came up for a reason. I got bumped up. I wasn't just a, a holder on extra points or something. You had you had some ideas in your head for uh for some uh, late season uh, changes." So we talked about that that play that we won the CIF championship where Chuck Mariotti had never been run before in any game, only in practice. <laughs> so for the championship game, because they had beat us like a drum before, we actually switched. Brandon Good had been our quarterback all year mm -hmm. 
for the championship game, we brought in Matt Hersema to play quarterback. And we moved Brandon Good to split end. And uh, we'd never done this all year. And we'd been working on this play, I guess, for weeks. So first play, split end fly. Hersema hits him on the fly touchdown. And that just like, whew. Then the next time we got ball, first play, ran the same exact play, split and fly, Hersema to Brandon Good, another <laughs> touchdown. After two plays from scrimmage, the game was over. We completely, completely uh, took them out of their game. So they didn't even know what to do after that. Again, that was the old gut punch that they didn't know how to react to. <laughs> that um, I don't know what the final score was, but after those first two touchdowns, that was it. We, we took totally, totally, yeah, demoralized them to what they didn't want. Do you remember the final score or anything? I don't. It, we, we won by a couple touchdowns, I know, because uh, they were chasing us and the, the defense really played well. You had Kevin Puig dialed in onto, uh, you know, their tight end. It, it was all kinds of stuff you had ready to go, and it, we just we shut them down. It was great. Yeah, but I remember the obviously, um, yeah, Puig was really good. Um, was it Puig or Puig? I don't, I, I don't even know if I'm saying it right anymore. <laughs> I think it was. I don't remember. Well, well here's what I do I remember. remember I do it's spelled I, the same way as Yasiel Puig. But yes, I think you're right. I think Puig. Yeah, I spelled I, I, the same as pronounced it the way they pronounced it. But the one thing I, I do remember. remember like, oh, go ahead. Uh, the sixth graders. You guys, you and Nick and Jan Balon and George Colley, and I, I'm pretty sure Brian Ermanski, was he on that team as well, or was he a, a Raider? Oh, that's but a good question. Came up yeah. huge. I think Ermanski was on that team, but he could have been a Raider. But um, but you guys just, on defense and offense, just you guys were really good. So that was <laughs> that was my most memorable. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. High. Well, what I remember is I always love these kind of like tactics. Like I was a guy, I wanted to watch, as a, even as a fifth or sixth grader, I wanted to watch game film and get ready, you know, all these different things that would prepare you for a game. But I remember like back in those days, I think you practiced twice a week, like Tuesdays and Thursdays or whatever. But I remember you specifically picked me and Brandon Good up early uh, from school Got us to practice, and for an hour before practice, we were yep. throwing we were throwing these passes, and it was like this this big secret that we hey, this is what we're going to do in the championship game, and we put in this extra practice, and because uh, we were going to catch him off guard and get our timing down, and Brandon and I just throw passes and passes and passes, and he was he was the best player in the league. It was wasn't hard to throw yeah. him the ball, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember that, Mister Murphy, uh, back in the day, uh, nineteen ninety six or whatever it was, great stuff. Yeah, it was 1996, and you hit him right on the money. <laughs> Another championship. Um, you, you know what was uh, interesting is after that season, the seventh grade program kind of dissolved, and fortunately, I had enrolled in Rio Hondo Prep. Otherwise, who knows? My Rio career uh, wouldn't have ever happened. Uh, but but those were some fun times. Those those sixth grade uh, memories, really, and and going from the Gators. Gary Shintaku was so influential to me, uh, three years playing for him. And, you know, he was somebody that always 
thought outside the box, had these crazy things. As a kid growing up, I didn't know any better. I was just like, okay, this is this is what you do. You run the triple option. You do these trick plays. You do all these things. Not thinking that, oh, most people don't do this, but Mr. Gary Shintaku just had a completely <laughs> – he knew he had a good group of guys he could do things with, but I loved playing for him and so many great memories. And, and it was so fun running trick plays and stuff with uh, Gary Shintaku. What a coach he was. So this is where we should mention that Matt Hersema is the best triple option quarterback I've ever seen. Oh. When you were triple A, you faked out everybody, including the referee, <laughs> Dave Carson. Dave. So when they tackled the fullback, that everyone thought he had the ball. Dave blows the whistle while you're running around the end for a touchdown, but you guys won the game anyway, right? Yes. Did yeah. We did. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we did win. Okay. Yeah. I wish, you know, if, except for you're right. We just moved you to quarterback for that championship game. And we practiced that one play to Brandon. If we would have had you playing quarterback the whole year, then we should have run the triple option. We could have run a good triple option that year, <laughs> but uh because you were sixth grade and Brandon Good was a really good quarterback. We started mm-hmm. with him until the championship game to throw the old switcheroo at him. Yeah, I, w- I was good at the fakes and uh, transferring the ball to guys. And yeah, this I was never very fast, so I always got caught from behind. But I, I could I could put put together a fake uh, pretty well. So I'll I'll go with. I don't know about the greatest triple yeah, option you threat faked ever. Out the defense. <laughs> yeah, you faked out the defense better than any quarterback I've ever seen. So. You and I were discussing earlier, so my dream Rio Hondo backfield would be the three guys that I coached. It would be Matt Herson at quarterback, Landon Goodwell at fullback, and Jacob Blake at tailback running the triple option. I don't think any team could stop that triple option. Oh, boy. They have to, they have to key on the other two players. Yeah. You, oh, I... you would have yeah, I'd have some yards for sure. Yeah. Hey, uh, I think, oh man, Landon and then Blake. Oh, I never pl- I played with Landon, not Blake though. Blake, what an unbelievable talent he was. Both of those guys. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing there, but someone's got to hand the ball off, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's all. You know, Mr. Uh, Murphy. Jacob was amazing tailback. Oh my goodness. So fast. So fast. Balance. He had amazing balance. He ran, if you ever remember, if you ever watched Eric Dickerson. Mm-hmm. Jacob Blake ran like Eric Dickerson, so smooth. He was kind of that tall, you mm. know, that same build as Eric Dickerson, so smooth. You don't even know, you don't even realize how fast he's going. Yes. Wow, man. One of the best athletes uh, Rio's ever seen for sure. Uh, one last thing on the Panthers, you know, to this day, back at my dad's house in my old room, I still have a light switch. My mom bought this for me when I was playing for the Panthers. She found a light switch that said, uh, it was a Carolina Panthers helmet, silver helmet and the logo. And it said Pan- Carolina Panthers. She bought that for me when I was playing for you. And so it was on my my light switch in my room at my dad's place. And I've never thought anything of it really. Uh, but I've had a friend or two of them. They're like, hey, what's this? What, why do you have a Panthers? Aren't you a Rams fan? I'm like, oh, yeah. Let me tell you this story. So still got a little Panthers uh, memorabilia at the house, Mr. Murphy, from that uh, fun year. Yeah, me too. I still have a couple Panther jerseys from – those years because those were the years the um the rams weren't in la back then and so i grew up a rams fan had season tickets growing up and once they left i kind of um well you know felt jilted (laughs) so i wasn't really rooting for them when they were in st louis i didn't feel like they were our team anymore so 
you know, I was kind of a Panthers fan for a couple of years there just because it was the team that we had just because, you know, we didn't have a team in LA for 20 years. Uh, yeah. Well, you, you've always been a football guy, right? So you, I mean, you, you like all sports, all competition, but there's just something about football, right? I mean, so the Rams are gone. So did you just kind of learn to watch football kind of without an interest in rooting for a team, just appreciating the game? Yeah. So that was the, the hard for all those years is I watch football cause I love football, but without having a real emotional tie to anyone without having a dog in the fight, it's just not the same. So, but yeah, football as a player, I loved the most because I wasn't coordinated in the other sports, but <laughs> in football, if you're tough and you're smart and you're quick, you know, you're aggressive. Football, I think, is more a mindset than than any of the other sports, you know, and I was aggressive. So and in football, I felt like was the one sport you can be better playing mad. <laughs> I like playing mad. It was the one sport that I could really take out my frustrations and aggressions legally and cleanly and productively. Oh, yeah. And as a coach, football by far is my favorite uh, sport to coach because it's a chess match. You're mm. always anticipating. Mm. You always have to anticipate what the other coach is going to do and try to counter that. I just feel like every single play, you know, you have to be thinking and anticipating and, and figuring in every play. You know, you spend a lot of the game just setting things up for the end you run in place just to set up things later on. And um, so you have to think ahead. Whereas, you know, in baseball, I feel like I'm just kind of sitting on the bench and, <laughs> and basketball, a lot of yelling, but you're not calling in football, every play you're calling something on offense and defense. Football so is, I love it's the ultimate team sport, as you mentioned. And people yes. used to, people used to tell me, well, baseball, you know, anyone can play baseball. You don't need to be tall or big. And I would say, I said, no, no, no. Football is the ultimate sport where there is something for everybody. I mean, think about, think about the game of football. Um, it, there are po- literal different positions for guys that are really big. There's positions for guys that are really fast. There's positions for guys that can catch a ball, that can tackle people, uh, that can kick a ball, for goodness sake. There are positions for guys that are smart. There's positions for uh, guys that can hold a ball, snap a ball. There's something really for everyone in football if you really break it down. And that's why I I love it so much because it's putting all these pieces together and and making it work. And that's got to be the fun part for you as a coach as well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In baseball, you have to have hand-eye coordination, and I never had it. And, you know, it's not something – if you don't have it, you don't have it. Yeah. Uh, football, football really, I feel like, is more effort than the other sports. When you're lined up across from someone – and I've coached and played long – it really comes down to a lot of – who wants it more? Mm. You know, who's going to be the more determined – I like in football, the way I coached, like when I coached your team is on every single play, whether you're offense or defense, everybody has a responsibility. And so as a coach, it was my job to let everyone know on every play what their responsibility is and then hold them accountable for it. So that's the approach that I took. And that's a lot easier. That's why I like coaching junior high a lot 
junior high, you can really do that and hold them accountable. When you coach the younger, it's a little harder, you know, <laughs> hold everything accountable. And, but in the junior high age, there was that accountability we had. This is your job. If you don't do it, bring someone else in. Yeah. But this is your one job. If you, it's one job for sure. If you don't do it, we fail. And if you do it well, we don't might do be successful. Oh, you know, no. Coaching, the hardest thing is to, to convince your players. I don't need you to do someone else's job. <laughs> I need you to do your job. <laughs> don't worry about over there. Someone else has got over there. You're here. Oh, yeah. No, I, I've learned all kinds of uh, lessons from you and the, the year I played for you. And, uh, you know, Gary Shintaku, uh, uh, just so influential. Uh, so many coaches. I mean, Ken Drain, every, every, everyone that, that I've uh, been around in, in my life in, in sports has just given me so much uh, help. Uh, well, let me ask Mr. Murphy, but you talked about the Rams. So the Rams come back. Do you still, do, do you still watch them and pull for them or because they left and came back? Are you still a little like, eh, sorry. Uh, maybe not as supportive no, as you used to be. Yeah. No, no. Once they came back, they were my team again. It wasn't the same because I was a kid back then. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're a kid, it's just different. And like I say, we, my dad had season tickets, so we'd go to the games and everything. Those were the old, if you ever see the old fearsome foursome, mm. that was like Merlin Olsen, Deacon Jones, that, you know, that group, Lamar Lundy, Rosie Greer. Rosie Greer yeah. um, and then Roman Gabriel at quarterback. They played at the Coliseum. The truth is once they even moved from the Coliseum to Anaheim stadium, it wasn't the same for me. Mm. But I did, I did go to their very last game at Anaheim before they moved. I was at that game. Don't remember anything about it other than it was the last game. Yeah, pretty sure I was there as well. But no, when they came back, we're, matter of fact, I'm anxious to see how they do now with the big trade getting Matthew Stafford because I've been frustrated the last couple of years with Jared Goff <laughs> and felt like he really cost them. I really feel like, you know, that year they went to the Super Bowl, if they had a healthy Todd Gurley and they had a healthy Cooper Cup, you know, they would have won. I feel like they would have. I agree. But without the healthy Todd Gurley, um, Goff never really was the same. Just like if you remember back to um, the Eric Dickerson, Eric Dickerson, Jim Everett. Jim Everett was a good quarterback when he had Eric Dickerson. Once Dickerson was gone, he wasn't a good quarterback anymore. Yeah, it's funny how that works, you know. <laughs> Having that, that's what makes guys like Tom Brady so unbelievable. He's never he's not always had great weapons, but no. he's always been no. Tom Brady, you know. Yeah. Wow. Uh yeah, the Rams I I didn't like to trade at first, but I slept on it. I feel much better about it now. Stafford is someone who has been in the league a while and uh people are critical of him, but he played for the Lions. I mean, <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Not much help. It there, was so. time for a change. You could tell with the coaching staff and the organization, even the other players, you can tell from some of their comments that they had been making that it was time for Goff needs a fresh start too. I think. Yeah. yeah some, some breakups just, they met, they, they need to happen. So I'm excited uh, for next season already. I, I, I live and die Rams football. I was a fan uh, from a distance in St. Louis and they came back to LA. I was ecstatic. And then they got good. Uh, so I think they have a team that is ready to win and hopefully that Stafford piece completes, uh, I don't know the, the puzzle, if you will. And 
if the Rams are just competitive, like I want a Super Bowl, obviously everyone does, but if the Rams are just competitive and get to the playoffs every year, like that's almost good enough for me. <laughs> as long as they're in the mix, as long as they have a chance for the Super Bowl, because if when you have a defense like they have, whenever you have a good defense, you're in the mix. You're going to be competitive. You're going to have a chance. Yeah. That's why I thought it was important to make a move at quarterback because the defense is there. You've got the defense you want. Mm-hmm. Although I wasn't real impressed with the defense against Green Bay. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I feel like the Rams are going to be in the mix now. Yeah. I have, you, you, you mentioned you, you're a football uh, historian will say, and you've mentioned some great defensive linemen uh, in the past for the Rams. Uh, have you, because uh, uh, to me, he's, he's, he's my favorite player. Everyone loves offense and this and that. I, and it's LA, so it's, you know, glitz and glamour. But I, I love Aaron Donald, and I have never seen anything like him. And all your years of watching football and, and being a former defensive lineman yourself and seeing great defensive linemen, have you ever seen anything quite like Aaron Donald? Uh, I don't think so on the defensive. Well, okay. Again, your perspective is different when you're a kid. Of course. But if you see some of the old Deacon Jones, oh. the old Deacon Jones films, yeah. <laughs> Deacon Jones, he was, you know, sacking people before that was a stat. You know, uh-huh. that was his big thing. And and things were, things were different back then because he had this move called the head slap. You ever see him do the head slap? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not It's not legal anymore. You can't do it anymore. So. He probably wouldn't be as effective today as he was, but he used to just smack the offensive lineman in the head. He just slapped their head and, you know, get by. So Deacon Jones, you know, because my perspective as a kid was, he was super dominant. And then of course you get to like, um, not line, but you get to like linebackers, you get to like Lawrence Taylor and, and, you know, people like that, but on the line, uh, especially, Aaron Donald is probably as dominant, at least, uh, you know, an interior defensive lineman, you know, when he rushes on the interior is, is there's ever been. Yeah. I, I can't believe some of that. He single-handedly changes games at times. It's, it's crazy how he's able to well, get by guys. You don't always see it. Yeah. You don't always see his dominance because they have to like double and triple him. <laughs> so that, well, yeah. it, which makes it easier for the other people, you know? And so, yeah, he is a force. He's a force on the defense. I'm like you. I'm more a defensive guy. Yeah. I appreciate good deep more than good offense. I'm more of a defensive mind. That's where I played, and that's just what I love. I don't mind a tender. Oh, I in any sport. Tapping yeah. someone is my favorite thing to do in any sport. I'd rather do that than anything in any sport. <laughs> Me too. We are uh, we are cut from the same cloth. Absolutely, tackle. I don't mind a. Uh, you know, a 17 to, to 10 football game. I, I, I like seeing people get stopped. And we live in this fantasy football age where points and all this stuff are uh, all that everybody talks about. But I love a good fourth and one stop, you know, or a, a big sack and stuff uh, uh, on uh, third and long, you know, to, to make, make a team punt. Um, somebody, you talked about perspective as a kid, someone who just passed away. I, I couldn't, Kevin Green, I watched as a, as a Ram and he was a former Panther as well in the, the NFL and, and a Steeler and a Steeler, yeah. a Niner briefly, which yeah. I wasn't happy about, but uh, and, uh, you know, he was a guy I watched as a kid and just like, this guy is everywhere. Unbelievable. So sad to hear him pass away. That was crazy. Um, let me see here. Well, Mr. Murphy, I could talk football with you all day. Let me tell you, uh, all day long. <laughs> uh, but y- y- I know you're aware of this, but many people um, have 
I'm sure heard the heard the name Mike Murphy, and they're like, oh, that name sounds familiar. Um, but actually, you have a rather uh, legendary name. Uh, it is the uh, same name as a uh, Medal of Honor winner, uh, Mike Michael P. Murphy, who was killed in 2005. Uh, during a uh, a mission for the for the Navy SEALs, and uh, I've every time I, I hear Mike Murphy, I think of you obviously because it's a common name. But I think of you, and I think of uh, the Medal of Honor winner uh, Michael P. Murphy. Have you heard uh, his, his story before? Well, uh, Dave Reed told me that there was a ship, a naval ship called the USS Michael Murphy. So I looked it up, and that led me to researching him and reading about him. He's an incredible guy. Mm. Yeah. So I read his, read his story. And, um, someone this last Christmas bought me the gear from, you know, they've, they've got a website for the ship. So I've got the gear, the hat and the shirts that say us, Michael USS, Michael Murphy. <laughs> so yeah, that, that's really cool for me because my dad was in the Navy and oh, he's really? buried in the, yeah. So he's buried in the military, the national, uh, cemetery and in riverside so all his life that was a big thing to him his navy years and being in the navy so having a ship you know with the same name the uss michael murphy was really a, a thrill for me that that is that is really special did, did your uh where some places did the your dad being in the navy did he kind of go all over the world or did he uh... all over the world he was on an aircraft carrier wow and he went all over the world um i think Again, I wasn't born. <laughs> uh, I think he was in like the Korean War, but I know he said he joined the Navy because he wanted to see the world. And he said he did. He was all over and that's, he loved it. Wow. That's, that's a uh, very cool stuff. Well, uh, God bless him and, uh, and all the, uh, the servicemen and women out there. And uh, yeah, the, the Mike Murphy story, uh, there's even some exercisers, the Murph, some physical challenge people do to pay tribute to uh, the legendary uh, Mike Murphy, Medal of Honor winner. Uh, so, so I'm trying to read that exactly, but what it is, it's a drill. Uh, I did read it. You mentioned it. I was trying to remember. It's like doing an insane number of like pull-ups and push-ups, just a ridiculous, <laughs> like, I don't remember how many it was, but I, I couldn't believe anyone could do that many pull-ups and, and push-ups. So that's, that's what it is, as, as I recall. Yeah. And then like run two miles, come back, do it again. Uh, There's something crazy like that. Let me see. Uh, And apparently this guy used to do this. I mean, show you the type of specimen he was as a Navy SEAL. Okay. Here it is. The Murph one mile run, 100 pull-ups, 200 push-ups. Have you tried to do a pull-up lately? A hundred pull-ups. I don't know. I don't know about a hundred pull-ups. Two hundred push-ups, three hundred squats, and then another one-mile run. All of this while in a twenty-pound vest or body armor. So uh, <laughs> I don't even know how it's even humanly possible. That's there's no way. I mean, there's, there's just no way. That's unbelievable. Oh man. Um, well, Mr. Murphy, I appreciate you talking uh, with me all this time. This has been great. Uh, I seriously could could chat football and break down things with you uh, all day long. Um, how how is life? Uh, you, you and you and Paulina, you know your wife, a uh, big big sports fans. I mean, do you guys watch a lot of sports? Uh, I know this whole lockdown thing. We we didn't have sports for a while. Now it's back. I mean, are you guys still really big sports fans? Yeah. So whatever basketball games are on at night, I'll be watching that. It's basically all I watch on TV. Is just whatever 
games are on, obviously football games on Sundays. Um, I've always been a huge college football fan. I love watching college. Mm. But yeah, so the funny thing is, is if you remember when this pandemic hit and there were no sports at all, oh. ESPN was televising the most ridiculous things and we would just watch it and laugh that they're putting these things on tv that that they're calling sports because there were no sports so that was uh that that was just a, a funny thing we used to laugh about that but yeah we <laughs> love watching sports still and uh yeah i've i've um i used to be always football basketball baseball that was it. i have over course of time really opened and started to watch more different sports now i don't i don't follow it much like football's you know king but like i i never used to watch golf i don't really watch golf but i'll i'll check the scores uh boxing and combat sports i watch that more now hockey i watch that more now um I've uh, evolved a little bit and developed my, my viewership. And that's probably just from being starved from not having sports for the, those few months for sports diehards like you and I, those were, those were some tough months. <laughs> my problem. And you know, I, I like watching things like hockey and, and soccer, but the problem is never having played really mm-hmm. or coached those sports. I'm not understanding it and watching it at the same level yeah. is when I'm watching football basketball or baseball game and i really understand what's going on you know so it's it's kind of like kind of entertaining but also kind of like i don't really know all the strategies they're doing what's what's the intricacies of the game yeah oh no that does make a difference i think yeah like i said you and i i think watch games very much the same way and and so that is uh that that is uh definitely play plays a part in in into everything so well, Mr. Murphy, thank you so much for chatting with me. This has been fun. Um, going down memory lane a little hey, bit. Thanks for having me. Have you had have you had Gary Shintaku on yet? No, no. He's uh, next on my list. I actually All reached right. out. I reached out to Craig Klingman, Klingman as well, your former teammate. Um, you so- got to have Craig Klingman. No one can tell stories like Craig Klingman. <laughs> he will be the best storyteller you have on your – Hey, who's the most interesting guest you've had so far on your – I mean, besides me, of course. Besides you, uh, <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, man, you know, it's been so many different uh, guests. You no, know, I've I've been fortunate that uh, I, I know. I, I guess in my in my life's journey, I've been fortunate to meet a few different people. And uh, you know, when I first started this, I, I that that was the plan: bring on some people that I've kind of crossed paths with. Um, I I had on uh, early on. I had the radio voice of the Milwaukee Brewers. Jeff Levering, he was on here, um, the public address announcer for uh, Cal State Fullerton, Chris Alba, who's also worked with the Raiders and, uh, uh, you know, filled in for Dodgers and Angels, stuff like that. I've had on Bill McCabe, who's worked NFL replay, and he was the assigner of uh, basketball officials in the Pac-12 before. So uh, Tony Padilla, who's a famous basketball official, has worked countless Final Fours. So, I mean, I've been fortunate to, to chat with a lot of different people, and a, a ton so of you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel now then aren't you? <laughs> no sir no sir it's just no order no order at all no order we just uh, bounce around you know so a, a lot of i didn't under i didn't think i would interview as many real hondo care youth league people but the story never gets old for, for me hearing it everyone's perspective about when they started and their journey and everything i mean 
Care Youth League in Rio was such a big part of my life that, you know, it's fun to hear from people who, uh, who went through the program or are still in it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So many common experiences and can relate. Yeah. Uh, Maynard Bajorquez talking about his experience at Rio and then his experience at West Point. I mean, that, that was really cool to, to chat about. Um, just all the different. I'd like to see that. So I don't even know how to watch this. I'd like to see Maynard's uh, podcast. I'd love to see him. He was another Panther. Yes, Great sir. guy. Oh yeah. So how do I how do I watch this? Um, well, that's that's yeah, funny you say that. Uh, so that's the thing. It took me. This was all trial and error, right? So it took me many months to realize. Hey, why don't you just put this on Zoom? You know, uh, rather than go through this app. So I didn't start doing Zoom until I don't know the summer, maybe sometime in the summer. And so I don't. I never post the videos. It's always just audio, just a podcast. So. If you have a podcast app, you can listen pretty much anywhere podcasts are distributed. Um, yeah, you can do it on your computer, I think, or your phone, Apple, Spotify, Anchor, which is what we operate through. Um, yeah, pretty much anywhere you can, you can hear these podcasts, which is pretty cool. Are you still there? Yeah. Oh, okay. Sorry, sorry. I thought I thought we froze again. We froze earlier, but uh, no. The Ken, the conversation with Ken Drain was awesome. Uh, Bill Lee, that one went like two hours. We could have talked forever. Um, again, there's just been all kinds of people that it's been a blast to uh, to chat about. I want to get Gary Shintaku. I want to get Craig Kling, Klingman, as you mentioned, the great storyteller. Yeah, those would be two great guests. <laughs> oh, I need to watch those. You know what? Uh, now that I've chatted with you, I would love to uh, to talk with uh, with Pauline sometime and and talk about. Uh, have I had a Hampton on here yet to talk about kind of the founding of uh, Care Youth League and everything? That would be pretty cool. I don't know if she knows that much about it, though. No, not not a whole lot here yeah, in the so. here in the the uh, the stories of uh, the founding and everything. Pretty cool. I think well, I know a lot more about it than she does. Oh yeah. <laughs> I guess she's not so. much of a historian. She's not much into history. Oh man. Well, I sure am. I know you are. And, uh, you taught, did you teach a lot of history? Uh, I didn't, but I took a lot of history. So I was authorized to teach history just because I, I took so much. I was credentialed to add supplemental authorization. I took history just cause I love it. History, social sciences. I took all of those just for enjoyment. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is definitely a subject that uh, I, I enjoy and uh, really like to pursue some more. So, uh, well, anyway, Mr. Murphy, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate um, your time. Any any parting uh, words of wisdom or questions or comments? No, the pleasure was mine. It's great to see you, Matt. We got to, you know, when this whole thing's over, this whole pandemic, we got to get together sometime. Yeah, I could talk to you forever. It's always great to see you. Oh, oh man. Yeah, you know, we do have some common acquaintances. Uh Jennifer Root and Scott Root. Oh, you know them? Yeah. Jennifer was my principal for seven years. She is amazing. I mean, she's really legendary. She's actually a superintendent now. Oh. In the School District. We all knew she was going places, that mm -hmm. she was going to be high place. And of course. Scott, you know, being a baseball coach and a football official. Uh, yeah. So I was surprised. I don't know. 
I guess I mentioned your name sometime. She goes, yeah, I know, Matt. <laughs> probably because I knew you were an official and Scott was an official. So that's probably how the Yeah, I've worked uh, a few games with Scott, some good times. And uh, that it's just so crazy how small the world is and the, the yeah. different connections and everything. Uh, they're, they're both, uh, yeah, done great things in education and everything too. So, oh well, man. Hi to your dad for me. We'll do, we'll do. He, you know, my dad uh, is, is Mr. Football fan and oh, he, yeah. lo- he loves his Rams. He loves Rio Hondo prep. He loves, he would, he would go down and watch practices. My dad loved, you know, and he, he would watch sixth grade, fifth grade football. He just loved, he never played it. Yeah. He never had the chance to play it as a kid but he just loves the game and, and I've learned yeah. so much of the passion from him. So I will definitely mention uh, your name. He, he always brings up some, those good memories, you know, Hey, I'm yeah, Mr. Murphy and playing for the Panthers. Yeah. Good, good times. <laughs> anyway, we'll chat soon. I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. We'll have this out, this episode out uh, probably next Friday and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl, Mr. Murphy. Oh, I will. Thank <laughs> you for having me. You got it. Take care. You too. If you're not ready for a high school football game after listening to that conversation, then I don't know uh, when you will be ready for one. And you're probably not a big high school football fan uh, like Mr. Murphy and I are. But man, that was a lot of fun chatting about the gridiron at all levels, but specifically Real Hondo Prep uh, championship games, uh, Care Youth League football, just what makes the sport great and some other fun uh, topics as well. Mr. Murphy, thank you so much for joining me today. It was a pleasure. It was a blast. And I hope we can continue to get episodes like this out featuring some really great people, especially those who have had a tremendous impact on other people's lives, such as Mr. Murphy has. He's taught men to have character and, and, you know, be leaders out there and just uh, put up, put up effort. I think that's one of the biggest things Mr. Murphy required of his guys and pushed, pushed us to the limit. And uh, yeah, it was just a pleasure to play for him and really fun talking with him today. Well, guys, that will wrap up the episode for today and our episodes for the week. I hope you enjoyed Uh, what we put out there this week, my Super Bowl recap on Monday, my weekly Wednesday weigh-in conversation with Bill Barnes on Wednesday, and of course, today's episode on the Get Home Safe podcast. Next week, I told you we have a great episode set up on Friday, a great interview. It's been recorded. Uh, uh, Some of the audio came out bad on my end because of this whole microphone situation that I told you guys about. Little furious (laughs) but can you be a little furious or is it just furious means a lot a lot of anger anyway whatever it is that's me right now and i really hope the episode comes out okay i've sent it out to uh some of our technical uh, advisors we'll say and see if they can clean it up but a great episode regardless next friday that i hope you guys will tune into and for those listening uh to today's episode who really enjoyed it Uh, I think you will really enjoy next week's as well. A long one, but a really good one. And I'll I'll tease that for now and tell you guys about it on Wednesday after my conversation with Bill Barnes. Hope you guys will join us next week for more episodes. Monday, I'll talk about the fight uh, from Saturday night, as well as give some opinions on some of the stuff that's been going on in the news. I've been saving that for Monday uh, just to kind of express myself with some of the things that have been going on some of the good some of the bad uh, a lot of both and a lot of things to discuss uh on monday or maybe not discuss but just throw out to you because it's probably just going to be me again uh wednesday will be bill barnes of course but you guys know the schedule by now if you are a, a fan of the program 
Guys, there's plenty of ways to follow the Get Home Safe podcast. Our Twitter handle is Get Home Safe Pod. Our Facebook and Instagram page is Get Home Safe Podcast. And our email address is Get Home Safe Podcast at yahoo.com. We'd love to hear from you. So shoot us an email, ask us some questions, maybe give us some content suggestions. Tell us what you guys want to talk about or hear about or whatever. Uh, we would love to hear from you just like you hear from us Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays here on the Get Home Safe Podcast. Okay, sorry for the shortness of breath for the, the maybe dry sounding voice. I've been talking all day, it feels like. A nearly two hour interview I did earlier today with next Friday's guest, followed up by having to do my intro and outro here for this episode three times. Oh, I hate technology. I've said it before, I'll say it again. Uh, I need a new laptop probably. That's probably the, uh, the, the main uh, factor in all of this, but uh, hey, got to get out there and spend some money uh, for better programming. Anyway, enough for me, guys. Get around third and home safe for the weekend. Uh, no football, but there's some fighting on Saturday that will bring us together, right? Fighting always brings people together. And then, of course, Sunday, uh, Valentine's Day. Everybody celebrate that accordingly. But guys, no matter what you're doing, whether you're out on the town or around in third base, get home safe.